Amen. Okay, here's the fun thing about today. The fun thing about today is that we, today I'm going to introduce you to Lent. I'm going to introduce you to our new sermon series, and I'm going to introduce you to the very first part uh, concept in this sermon series today. Lent's really fun. We're in the middle of Lent. Did you know that? We started Lent on Wednesday night at, uh, at a an Ash Wednesday service. And any of you are able to get to our Ash Wednesday service? Yeah, it's really a beautiful service, super fun. And a lot of people for the first time sort of understood what Lent was all about. I want to talk about that a little bit. Here's my favorite Lent story is we know people give up something for Lent often, right? People do something and we'll talk about that a little bit later, like how, why and how that is. But people give up stuff for Lent. And um, a couple of years ago, my favorite Lent story is, uh, and I won't I won't tell you who it is, except that her name's Anne, and that's her real name. And uh, my friend Anne, I said, what are you going to give up for Lent? And she's like, I'm giving up wine for Lent this year. And I'm like, that's awesome. She's like, yeah. She goes, except for um, uh, on Sundays, because as you may know, that Sundays are these celebrations of the resurrection of Christ. So even though we're going through Lent, a lot of people who fast uh, during Lent uh, often will not, they'll break their fast on Sunday to celebrate Jesus. And it's awesome news. And so she's like, so I love that, that, that loophole you gave me. I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to give up Lent, but not on Sundays. And then she's like, oh, and actually not on Fridays because it's kind of a special date night for us that we do. And we go to usually a good dinner and we like wine. And so I'm not going give to up, give up wine Fridays or Sundays, but I'm giving up wine for Lent. And then, and then actually she goes, not on Saturdays either, because usually on Saturdays we do some stuff. We often have a lot of business dinners. And so we don't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I want to be, I don't want to be rude or holier than thou. So I'm not going to, so I'm not going to, so I'm giving up wine except for Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. And then, um, and Tuesday book club is a, um, is a thing. We got Chardonnay involved. And so I'm going to give up wine for Lent except for Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> Like, that is awesome. I hope you can make it, you know? <laughs> so um, Lent is this period that we're in from Ash Wednesday. It's, it's, it's symbolic of a 40-day period where Jesus went into the wilderness to prepare for his ministry. And so it's 40 days. 40 days is kind of a fun, special number in the scriptures, as you may know. But it's a 40 days. And you're like, I'm kind of doing the math. It's not 40 days. It's 46 days. That's true. From Ash Wednesday to Easter is 46 days, but there's six Sundays. So 46 days minus six Sundays equals a 40-day experience because if we're going to give up something for Lent, then we can celebrate the resurrection of Christ in the middle of it. But what Ash Wednesday is about, and oh, by the way, I mean, not what Ash Wednesday, Lent is about, but by the way, you can hear some, some teaching about Lent and Ash Wednesday uh, online from our Ash Wednesday service will be posted. So you can go kind of learn some more about this. But this time of Lent is a time of repentance and longing for the life that Jesus brings. That's what Lent is about. The word Lent just means spring, by the way, in, from an old English word, because it happens in the spring. But it's a cycle of the church to say, you know, at this time, this every year, let's rehearse the cycle that, man, I do well and I walk with God and there's life in my life and I'm trusting him. And, and then there's seasons of dryness and death and disobedience and brokenness and sinfulness and I'm just a mess and Jesus comes and brings life. That's a cycle, right? So we actually celebrate that cycle in the, in the year, the Christian year, by doing Lent, where we spend a season repenting of our sin, uh, lamenting our brokenness, and longing for the life that Jesus offers that obviously happened when he rose from the dead, and that's why we do it before Easter. And so there's a little bit of a somber tone to Lent because we're like, man, Lord, 
I and we and the world are a mess and we need you and the life that only you can give. And so you see why many people would fast because they would fast in order to have an experience, to create really an experience of longing that mirrors what they know to be true, which is that their heart and their soul longs for Jesus. That's what we're created to do. And that's the answer to all of our longings. And so people fast so that when their tummy growls, they go, oh, see how I'm longing for carbs? That's just a symbol of my soul that longs for you, God. And so we put fasts in our life to remind us of what we're really looking for. Isn't that kind of a cool, cool idea? So we're actually going to, during Lent, we're going to uh, challenge you, engage you, invite you to enter into a Lenten fast together. More about that toward the end of our worship gathering. Um, but also during this Lent season, we're going to, we, and we've kind of gotten the habit of our Lent sermon series being about kind of taking stock about where we're at spiritually. So how is my walk with God? As I sort of look toward Easter, which is the symbol of man, Jesus is the answer and he has brought life and forgiveness. So how am I doing? Where am I at in my walk with God? So we're going to kind of take stock. And so this sermon series that we're uh, starting today is the, um, the pursuit of godliness. And I'm going to give you, we're going to spend a few minutes kind of doing an introduction to this idea of the pursuit of godliness. And then I'm going to spend whatever time I have left in my sermon slot to give you kind of one aspect of this godly, godliness pursuit that we're talking about. A text that will be a little bit of a theme for our, our sermon series is on the screen there, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. You're like, old wives' tales? Does it really say old wives' tales? Yes, that's, that's where we get it, that the Bible is the, the author of that. Uh, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. And what that means is the stuff that people say that's just the cultural blah, 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 it's not necessarily the truth. So don't, don't get caught up with that. Don't have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both now, the present life, and the life to come. So this godliness thing that Paul's talking about, he says you should be pursuing godliness. You should be moving toward godliness, whatever that means. We're going to talk about it in a second. Because there's value now, there's value for eternity. The, the, the things that the world offers that's empty of that godliness is of no value. But just like physical training has some value, physical health, Paul says to, to Timothy, think about how much spiritual training and godliness brings life. So what is godliness is what you're asking. And what are we telling us to pursue? The Greek word, the etymology of the Greek word, it means this. It means well-devoted. Well-devoted. Eusebomai uh, is the Greek word. Eusebomai. You is well and sebomai is devoted. It means devoted to God. So here's a long definition of the pursuit of godliness. Becoming more and more devoted to God. And this transformed life that is more and more the us that we were made to be. 
So pursuing godliness, pursuing this well devotion, pursuing devotion to God, it's becoming more and more devoted to God. Now, by the way, you see that we're always using those kinds of verbs, the the more, the the becomings, the the ing verbs, because we're all in process of this, friends. We're all spiritually hungry, and we're all journeying toward Jesus. We're all on our way. And so pursuing godliness is going to be about becoming more and more devoted to God and more and more devoted to this life, a transformed life that's more and more what we were made to be. I love that goal because it isn't like stop being so much you and start being something totally different. That's not what this call is. It's not good news. The call is God's got a design for who you are and how life was designed to be lived and particularly the life that you were to live and Getting in touch with that, godliness is about getting in touch with what God has for me and for us and to live it more fully. You with me? That's what godliness means. So if you think moralism in your head, that's not what it is. It's about the life that God's inviting us to. Here's a short version of the, uh, of the definition that might be more helpful to kind of uh, get in your head. The pursuit of godliness is devoted to God and a life that is well-pleasing to him devoted to God and a life that is pleasing to him, living a life that is pleasing to him. Here's a simple example of a, of a person. I don't have it on the screen, but you can write it down if you want to look at it later. There's a character in the scriptures named Enoch. Enoch's mentioned at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 5 and later in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. And Enoch was a descendant of Adam. He also, by the way, was the father of Methuselah. What's he famous for? Anybody know Methuselah? Yeah. Oldest person in the Bible. That's right. A little trivia for you. And uh, so Enoch, it says when it describes Enoch, it describes him as someone who walked with God. Two times it says about Enoch. Enoch, somebody who walked with God. There's one other thing about Enoch that's kind of cool. Who knows what is famous about Enoch in the Bible? He was no more. Somebody said, that's right. Yeah, Noni, you got that. God took him to heaven. Okay, now listen, you got to be super tight with God. And walk with him so well that he's like, you, I love you, up here, now. So he didn't die, he went to heaven. So this is Enoch. But the description, we don't know anything about his life except that he walked with God. And then in Hebrews 11, at the end of the Bible, when um, the author of Hebrews is sort of doing this faith hall of fame, there's all these people that live by faith that the author is describing their journey, Enoch's mentioned, and that author says, Enoch was one, listen, who was pleasing to God. That's this eusebomai Greek word. That's this well-devoted. So you've got Enoch who walked with God and pleased God. That's the definition of him. This is the bookend of his life in the scriptures. He was one who was known who walked with God and who pleased God. That should stir something in every one of us who's like, man, what am I about? What is my pursuit? What's my calling on earth? What has God given to me to do and to be? Friends, it's about walking with God and pleasing God. And so this sermon series is about us taking stock and asking that very question. Do I walk with him? And am I pleased with him? What's the legacy I'm leaving? I mean, what else would we want to be known as, right? Except that we would walk with God and that we would please God. Um, Linda and I were... Um, 
we used to do a whole bunch of, uh, of parenting seminars out and about in the world. We'd get invited somewhere and we'd do an evening or we'd do a day-long thing or we'd do a weekend retreat and we'd do a parenting seminar. And um, it was always easy to do that because you know, we'd leave our kids and that was good because if they were there, then they wouldn't believe anything we said about being parents. Um, and so we, we would do parenting seminars, but we would laugh every time on the way to these parent seminars and on the way back because we realized that we just had some version. This was our message. Like, we didn't know how to tell people how to be good parents. We didn't even know if we were being good parents. We had no concept. Our kids were still little, and it turns out we weren't that great. But anyway, we, like, this was, what we would laugh about was, is that we had a three-hour version or an eight-hour version or a weekend version of this message. We would get in front of people, and we would say, you need to walk with God and live a life that pleases God, and there's a fighting chance your kids are going to be okay. Like, that was our whole message as pastors. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert on parenting. But all we knew was, if this was what we transmitted to our kids, man, maybe there's a chance. That's our legacy. What else, friends, do the people in your circle, whether you're a parent or not, what do the people in your circle need to, to, to see, to know, to feel? To, what does the world need? What, they need you to walk with God and to live a life that pleases God. And so it's incumbent upon us to go, man, that's godliness and the scriptures call us to that. We want to be those people. Is our life, are we on track to a life that's devoted to him and pleasing to him? Many Christians are a lot of things, you guys. Many Christians are a lot of things. Many Christians are busy. Many Christians are moral. Many Christians do a lot of good deeds. Many Christians are super talented and impressive. They may be a lot of things, but they may not necessarily be devoted to God and his way. They're living outside, looking good, all that, but they may not be devoted to him. They may be devoted to a vision. They may be devoted to a cause. They may be devoted to a church. They may be devoted to a, a good reputation. They may be devoted to a lot of things, but they may not be devoted to God. And it is upon us to ask the question, how is it that I could be so devoted to God that I live a life that pleases him, walking with him and living well-pleasing to him? This is, so we're back to this admonition of the text, the text that we read. In fact, why don't you put that up for me, if you would, Rick. So we train ourselves to be godly. We're going to have anything to do with the other ways of living. There's other ways of living in the scriptures. We're not going to have anything to do with those things, but we're going to pursue walking with God and being pleasing to God. And we're going to train ourselves. That's the pursuit part. We're going to train ourselves. The word train there is the word gymnadze. I was like, go to the gymnasium and do the exercises that get us to this place of being devoted to God so that we would live a life pleasing to him. And so that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to talk about that this sermon series. Like, so what would those exercises be? How would I live a life pleasing to God? There's alternatives, by the way, to living a life of godliness. One of the alternatives would be that we would have these myths in our lives. Listen, people that are devoted to godliness that are going to have to be people who understand God's truth, not just the myths about what makes life life. And then there's full-on, flat-out ungodliness that talks about in the Scriptures, like you've got to resist the sin of, of the way people who don't know God live. So like, that's the alternative for sure. That'll preach all day, every day. That's not what we're going for. And in addition, one of the things that may be even more relevant to you in this room, and that is one of the alternatives to godliness, is having a form of godliness 
but denying its power. That's from 2 Corinthians, I mean, sorry, 2 Timothy 3. That, 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 that Paul is telling Timothy in this text, he's like, listen, in the last days, here's how the church is going to get into trouble. Here's how people who go by my name, Jesus people, are going to get in trouble is that they're just going to look like they're godly. You hear it? But not have any power. There's no God in it. There's no supernatural. There's no spiritual. There's no power. It's just them looking good or looking religious. Friends, that is not what we're about. And man, I, I got, if that's what we're about, I got nothing because I cannot pull it together. And I wouldn't ask you to try. We need power. We need the presence of God in our lives. So we're going to pursue godliness. So that's a great transition because if, we're, if this what the pursuit of godliness is about, this, this exercise toward living a life that pleases God, we've got to talk about how we do that. And the first one that I want to talk about here is that we need to have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. We need a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be people that walk with God and please God, if we're going to be people who don't just have the form of godliness, but have no power, where's the power come from? The Holy Spirit. So we are going to be people who have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. By the way, I really wanted to give you sort of a, a, um, you know, a basic, here's who the Holy Spirit is, 101, like, what, like who's the Holy Spirit again? How does that work? And I do not have time today to do that. Um, but I did find a teaching on that, and so I want to resource you. If you'd like to go listen to that, it's a 33-minute teaching that, uh, from, uh, that I did in, from October of 2016. It's on our website. You go down, you scroll through until you find the, the series on the Holy Spirit, and it's October 2nd, 2016. It's really, it's really some good teaching on, all right, who's the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not that good because I did it, but the content is really, really good. And so I, I really recommend that to you if, that, if you're like, I'd love to hear that. Like, I need to kind of know where to put that. Um, oh, and by the way, the 201 class that starts on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, don't come Tuesday. No one will be here. The 201 class that starts on Wednesday, a lot of that is going to be how do we walk with God? What role does this Holy Spirit play? How does that power work in our lives? Am I supposed to hear God? Am I supposed to follow God? How does that work? 201, I really would recommend that class to you. So back to the idea. So if we're going to be people who are living lives of devotion to God and lives that please God, we're going to need a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Here's a key verse to that. This is John chapter 14. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Like this, if you want to be in a relationship with me, then yes, I'm going to lead you and you're going to follow me and this is how life is going to be. You're going to, you're going to do life in, in, in relationship with me and a life that pleases me. So if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, because can you imagine people hearing it like, oh man, I don't know if I can keep your commands. Like I'm not sure what all your commands are. I don't know that I'm capable of keeping all your commands. But I want to be in relationship with you. So Jesus says, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus says, listen, disciples, you are going to need to walk with me and, and live the life as I designed the you. Remember becoming more and more the you that you were designed to be? Like, this is the life I'm going to call you into. 
And you're going to need the Holy Spirit to come along with you. Do you see it in the text? He goes, I'm going to give you another one, the advocate. The advocate, one who's going to come alongside. The Greek word is the parakaleto. It means one who ushers alongside, one helps on the journey, one who escorts you on the way. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to do that. Because why? Jesus was going to heaven, and so Jesus couldn't be with everybody being our escort. But the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then look at what the teaching says on that. Go back to that verse. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. This is not just something that everybody is out there understanding, but you do. You know him because as believers in Christ, he lives with you. And what's the last word say? Read it with me. And will be in you. Do you see why living a life devoted to God that pleases him? Am I walking with God? Am I pleasing to God? It's going to require the power of the Holy Spirit within us for it to take effect in our lives. That was that two truths about that. You saw the first one already flash up there. Here's, here's the truth I want to tell you about it. One, because, because he's in us, his power provides the help that we need. This is the simplest teaching that I can give you. We're already talking about the fact that we can't just do a form of godliness. We're not asking you to clean up your lives. We're not asking you to be more moral than the dude living next door to you. Like that, no, that stuff is meaningless. What we're talking about is walking with God and pleasing God with our lives. So we need God to show up and carry us on that journey. You with me? Say amen and I'll, keep, I'll move on. Like that's what it's about. And without that, we're lost and we practice a religion and you ain't gonna get any better than you are and you ain't that good. So that is a bummer. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to come and to walk with us and to guide us. His power in us is what we need. That power, friends, is wisdom. It's revelation. It's God speaking to us. If you're like, how does God speak to you? Come to 201. I'm pushing the class. Uh, it's, it's God coming alongside and leading us into the life that we were designed to live. And, and here's the biggie. Don't miss it and the power to actually do the transforming work that's required. It's his power. Interesting thing about this dynamic, friends, is the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, we're saying that, that the pursuit of godliness is about, uh, about a, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this whole journey. The Holy Spirit is the beginning of this journey. It's the Holy Spirit within us that calls us, deep calls to deep. The Spirit within us cries out. Our human spirit cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit calls to the Spirit. Our Spirit, God's Spirit calls to our Spirit. I mean, God is initiating a relationship with us and wooing us toward Him. That's at the beginning of our journey. He's the one that's convicting us of sin and our lostness. He's the one who says, who is long, giving us the longing for life that is in us. The Holy Spirit does that. And then the Holy Spirit's in the middle of it, speaking to us about our circles of influence, about our daily lives, about our money, about our time, about our love, about our gifts, about our, re like, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit's in the middle of that. How in the world could we live lives pleasing to God without the Holy Spirit going, let me school you. Let me walk with you. Let me lead you along the path. And then he's at the end of that journey in the sense that when we come and hear these messages and the Holy Spirit comes to us and we hear these messages of, man, I got to change. 
and this has got to get healed, and that's got to stop. The Holy Spirit's at the end of this journey going, and you're never going to do that without my power, so let me invade you and do supernatural stuff that's beyond your imagination. He's at the beginning and the middle and the end of this journey. So here we are talking about let's pursue godliness, a life that we walk with him and we please him, a life that's devoted to him and lives a life that, that, that reflects that. Like, like we're talking about this, but without the Holy Spirit, we're toast. And we're to be pitied if that's all we got. So that first point, how does this whole thing work? Why is the Holy Spirit conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit necessary? Because he's in us and his power provides the help that we need. Second truth I want to leave you before we move on. And the Holy Spirit's work is activated when we ask for it and submit to it. The Holy Spirit's work in us, that work beginning, middle, and end is activated when we ask for it and when we submit our lives to it. Now, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you when you say yes to the good news of Jesus and receive his forgiveness and the salvation he offers. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, but the scriptures teach that you can keep him at bay. You can pour water on his fire. You can uh, grieve him by not listening to him. You can not listen to God. And everybody in here is like, that's a big duh. Like, I know that. And so we consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit, have to turn ourselves into asking him and submitting to him. And then that power is unlocked in our lives. This is the conscious part. This is why we're saying it's got to be a conscious part, a, 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 a process that we say, God, you're what I want. Your uh, healing is what I need. Your leading is what I need to please you. So come Holy Spirit and do your work in my life. Bring your word, bring your leading, bring your comfort, bring your encouragement. You come into my life. The scriptures teach that when we ask the Father in heaven, he gives the Holy Spirit to us and opens himself up to us. Galatians chapter five talks about this. And one of the verses in there says, Galatians 5.25 says, so since life comes from the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, if this is our hope that supernatural power will come and take us on this journey, then let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep walking with the Spirit. Let's keep listening to the Spirit. Let's ask the Spirit to come and to actually then guide us to where we need to be and who we need to be. So it falls to us, friends, to increase our consciousness of our dependence on that Holy Spirit. It falls to us to interrupt our daily activities, our, 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 our way of living like God maybe doesn't even exist and go, no, wait. What I'm facing right now, I need his wisdom. I need his revelation. I need his strength. I need his healing. I need his power. Or I got nothing. And when we consciously Invite the Spirit to come. We walk with God and we live a life that's pleasing to Him because His way happens through us. Tracking with me? Pursuit of godliness, moving toward a life devoted to Him that pleases Him, is utterly dependent on being consciously aware and inviting the Holy Spirit to come work. Now, I'm going to finish up in a few minutes and just kind of finish my teaching as we end our worship gathering. We're going to do some response right now and, and, uh, and reflect on this as we sing before the Lord. But 
maybe even right now this morning for you. As we worship, think about this truth. I want to just ask you, what does it feel like to ask yourself the question, am I walking with him? Am I living a life that's pleasing to him? Because I'm pretty sure that when we sit and reflect on this again, we realize, man, that's maybe why there's just some misery in my life that I can't get rid of. There's some, some habits in my life that I can't kick. There, there's some hopelessness in my life about the me that I am that I can't shake. It's because we've kind of pushed back this idea of the Holy Spirit being real and being able to come and meet us in speaking, leading, healing, transforming. Maybe even this morning, it's a time to renew that and invite the Holy Spirit to come and do his work in your life. We are going to be people who pursue a life where we walk with him and please him. That's what godliness is about. And we will be absolutely required to be consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit to do that. That was the message today. So what if we were to do this this week? See, at the end of every one of these sermons, we're going to have this little uh, time where we're going to challenge you, invite you, I mean, uh, to uh, put that first slide up there, would you, you guys? What if we tried something this week is what we'll say. Isn't that a nice way to say, here's some homework. What if we tried something this week together? What if we tried something? And this week, what if we tried this a Lenten fast. A Lenten fast is a godliness exercise, training exercise. What we've just been talking about, to invite that Holy Spirit to come and to meet us, to take us on the journey, because without him, we, we, we can't be led. We can't know how to live. We can't be transformed. And a fast is designed just to do that in order to, in fact, here's, the, here's the, the, the definition of a fast. A fast is a discipline. It's an experience we put ourselves in which reminds us that what we really long for is God and God alone. It reminds us to, to say, Holy Spirit, I want to keep in step with you. I need your leading. I need your truth. I need, I need your wisdom. I need you to reveal to me what to do. And I need your power more than any of those other things. Beginning, middle, and end of the journey, I need you, Holy Spirit. How can we interrupt our way of living and remind ourselves, oh, no, we got to be dependent on this Holy Spirit? A fast does exactly that. Because when people enter into a fast, as I said earlier, they actually create an experience where hunger happens. It's really easy to see that when you think about uh, food, fasting from food, because your tummy growls. Or if you fast from caffeine, your head aches. And if you uh, give up carbs, you, 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 uh, no one likes being around you. Like all of that stuff just happens to us. And it's a reminder, like, what is happening for me? And so it's a reminder that what I really long for is God. This is like why the psalmist said, as the deer pants for streams of water, that's how my soul longs for you, God. Like I see a deer lapping it up at the stream and I'm like, that's a good reminder for me. Let me just confirm my soul needs you, Holy Spirit, to come, lead, guide, heal, transform. So what if we did this this week? What if we enter into a fast this week and maybe you do a whole Lenten fast? Maybe there's something that you can give up for all of Lent, but let's try it for a week and see. We'll give you other uh, homework, training exercises next week. But what might you give up that would reveal a hunger in you? this week. I was with uh, 
my small group yesterday, and we were talking about what it is, and one guy's talking about uh, giving up TV. Uh, did I tell you this already? That was the first gathering. One guy said he was going to give up cheap wine. I'm like, that is not even a thing. <laughs> um, I heard a guy uh, after first gathering say to me, is this a thing? He said, I think I need to give up procrastination because it's in my way. And he goes, it's kind of not an exact science. I'm like, you're going to need the Holy Spirit for that. But yes, that's awesome. What might reveal a hunger in you that you gave up? It could be something really innocuous that just could be used as a metaphor. It could be skipping a meal a week. It could be uh, you know, fasting for, for longer than that. It could be, you know, uh, like I said, carbs or your afternoon Diet Coke. or like, and, and, Man, you go, oh man, I'm, I'm wanting that. I'm giving up junk food. I'm giving up food that's um, fast food and junk food. And you're like, what, what falls in that category? I'm like, I know. I can justify anything. So I'm not really sure yet. But I'm making a game time decisions all along the way. I just put, like uh, tortilla chips at Mi Pueblo is like on the line. I'm not really sure yet. <laughs> but inside it'll be like, I love this. You know why I'm giving that up? I'm giving that up because it just will create a, like, oh, I so want this so badly. And as the deer pants for streams of water. And my soul, that's my, my soul needs you, God. Thanks for the reminder. What could you give up? It could be something innocuous. It could be something that quite possibly has grown tentacles around your heart. And so it's something you, you actually are saying, I think this has become too important to me. And I need to tell God again, no, you're everything I need. Let me sacrifice this for a time to break the power of my flesh and my control. So maybe it's something, maybe it is for you wine like, man, that's it's becoming a little like, it's my escape. Maybe it's TV for you because that's your go-to. Maybe it's, maybe it's self-promotion and you're just deciding you're going to listen and give up talking about yourself. What is it? What could create a hunger in you all so that we put ourselves before the mercy and the grace of God and we say, you're what I need. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead. Transform. What do you think? Can we do that? Going to try it? May God bless you. Not because you're doing something hard, but because you are leaning in to the fact that he is all that we need.